Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality, easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit lynda.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This week on TWIP, Flickr redesigns their mobile app and adds video capture. Google brings Lytro-like functionality to Android devices. iFi launches a new cloud service and an interview with David Dushman of Craft and Vision. It's Wednesday, April 23rd, 2014, and this is Twitch. All right, guys, welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss some of the cool topics this week in the world of photography and more, Mr. Tristan Hall and Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hello, Frederick. Hey, it's good to have you guys. We got a, we got a jam-packed show of stuff to talk about today. Tristan, first of all, I want to kick it off with you. I got an email from you. Uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago was it? Maybe a month or so, and yeah. it was it was a little it was a little disconcerting. It was about uh, Photo Comment Magazine. What happened? What fill us in? Fill in this week in photo <laughs> audience about Photo Comment. What happened? Well, you know, we the print industry is been struggling for a little while. Um, you know, last year we we partnered up with a bigger publisher and. Ultimately, things looked like they were going to get better and better, but um, 2013, certainly from a South African point of view, and I think some globally to a certain degree as well, it was a tough year for some of the big photographic ba- uh, brands. I can't talk this early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, um, yeah, it, it kind of, one thing led to the next, and in December we weren't 100% certain, um, you know, how things were going to play out. Um but we, we thought things would keep going, and uh, then January rolled around, and it was kind of like, look, um, this this is the end of it. Um, it. It wasn't just Photo Comment Magazine. There was another title that was impacted as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the end result was uh, we, we had to shut shut shop on Photo Comment. So our January-February issue was the last issue of Photo Comment Magazine, mm. very sadly. Um you know, after five years, it it was it's a little bit tough saying goodbye to something. But to be perfectly honest, also, I mean, it it wasn't like we were becoming rich doing photo comment magazine. Right. It, it was a labor of love, and at some point, you kind of, if you've been struggling with the relationships and the politics of an industry in that for a long time, 
you you start getting to a point where maybe it's just not worth it anymore, and and it's time to move and focus your attention on something else. Right. So, right. And what's that something else for you? I know you you've moved on to another to a to a small company. What what's what's happening? <laughs> so I I am I've uh, jumped back into the corporate world and am now back at Sony. So it's my it's my second time at Sony South Africa. The first time I was there on a contract basis as the alpha product specialist, and that's near the early life of of alpha pretty much. Um, was when they shortly after they launched the Alpha 700, and they were about to go full frame for the first time, and so so now I find myself back there again. Very different uh, Sony to what it was previously, um, and that's about as much as I'm actually allowed to say about the company. <laughs> I know <laughs> the non-official <laughs> We we've all been watching the news. We we can we can arrange the tea leaves about what's what the new Sony is kind of looking like. But you know, Sony's Sony's firing on all cylinders. So I'm. Uh, I'm excited to see what what's coming in 20 the rest of 2014 and 2015. I know you uh so that I wanted to before we move on I want to hear your your quick thoughts on the the A7 because I know you have one now and that's been the buzz of the full frame mirrorless industry with I guess the only full frame mirrorless interchangeable uh autofocus camera in the world. So what what do you think about it? Well, I I love it. You know, I've been shooting with Sony. It's the first camera brand to stay in my bag for like more than 6 years. Well, well more than more than a year, probably actually. Um, yeah. You know, but for the last six years, I've been shooting with Sony, even before I worked there the first time. And um, the Alpha Seven has, for me, been a fantastic, fantastic camera. I, I, I just find myself enjoying taking photographs again, which is, um, you know, for the last five years, has been difficult with with the magazine consuming a lot of your time with the writing of the subject but not always getting to do your own personal work um, and and now being able to to kind of do my own personal stuff the Alpha 7 I wanted to dabble in the video side a little bit more as well and so I kind of looked at it and said I'm, I need to upgrade for my NEX6 um, I, I want to play around in the video so it needs a headphone jack it needs a microphone jack and you know the cheapest full-frame camera actually with all of those features was the Alpha 7 which just happened to be a bonus as well Look at so, uh, yeah it, it's uh, I love it it's a fantastic camera did you buy that camera before or after you were eligible for the Sony employee discount <laughs> before <laughs> so, <laughs> oops no, honestly when, when I made the purchase it, it didn't look like I was gonna go back into corporate and part of it was with photo comment winding down, it was like, well, maybe it's time to get back into shooting semi-professionally while doing some freelance writing and, and stuff like that. Um, but like so many things, you know, you plan to do this, you invest in all the gear, and I've got some fantastic, you know, uh, extras and that, and some fantastic um, lighting equipment and whatever. And as I say, at the moment, it's again not really getting used for for that yeah. purpose. And yeah. Just one thing led to the next, and I found myself with an opportunity to move back into corporate and move back to Sony, which is, you know, it's something I'm passionate about their product, and so it made sense for me. Well, that's awesome. Well, well, Tristan, yeah. you always you always have a place here on this week in photo. This is oh, always thank awesome. you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Well, also on the show is Mr. Don Komarechka. Don, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I feel like you're like a mad scientist over there working on crazy <laughs> stuff. What's going on? Uh, well, I, I feel that way sometimes as well, Frederick. I've got, uh, you know, now that it's springtime, my snowflake project is over for now, but uh, I just recently did some filming with uh, uh, CBC Documentary Crew for an episode of uh, their series that they have called The Nature of Things. Nice. And so that'll be airing uh, in late fall, early winter of this year. 
I don't have the exact dates yet, but I'm really excited for that. They did a whole thing. I think that the tentative title for the episode was called Chasing Snowflakes, so I think you can figure out where I come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that, that was kind of fun. Uh, let's see, I've got uh, a TEDx talk coming up later this year in August. And, oh, uh, what's that talk going to be on? What's, is it uh, well, Snowflakes? Th- uh, no, it's not on Snowflakes, but it, it's about, uh, and I'm still putting together some of the specifics, but it's going to be on uh, our, our perceptions and how we see the world versus how a camera sees the world and sort of the differences between the two of them and sort of understanding how that difference is, uh, it makes you see the world in a different light and it also allows you to see how other people see the world differently as well. So it'll be an interesting talk. Looking forward to uh, to putting all the, the finishing touches on that one. Uh, cool. And you know, right now I've been doing a lot of experimenting, uh, you know, playing around with some extreme macro photography. Uh, the trees are just about to light up with green leaves and I'll be doing infrared photography out there with that and even taking pictures and exploring uh, refractography which is taking pictures without a lens on the camera and just photographing refracted light uh, that hits the sensor directly. And just all sorts of weird, fun stuff that's allowing me to understand light in a greater way. And uh, it's, it's the joy of photography for me, and I'm really happy to be doing it. Wow, that's uh, that's that's crazy. So, like I said, the, you're the mad scientist of photography. <laughs> well, and, and I also want to to talk about uh, photo comment. I, I contributed uh, to the magazine at one point as well, and uh, and it was wonderful to uh, to work with uh, Tristan on on some fun little things. And uh, and I've got a few copies of it uh, that uh, that are still kicking around here that I've had quite a few comments on. Uh, so uh, sorry to see that go, Tristan. And uh, and you know, magazines are hurting all over the place. Uh, I I also write for Outdoor Photography Canada. And thankfully, they're doing okay right now. And uh, and they actually just published an article on my infrared work. But uh, it, it's not an easy business to uh, to be in. And, uh, you know, the, the challenges are only going to get worse from here on out for them. And, and I wish everybody the best of luck in that industry. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Because in, in this interview or in this episode, at the end of the show, there's going to be uh, <clears throat> an interview I did earlier this week with uh, David Dushman. And, you know, we were, I think, in, in part of the interview, we were talking about, publishing, you know, because he's the guy behind Craft and Vision. So we were talking about print versus digital distribution, and essentially the conversation was about how there's a lot of friction on the print side of the world, and on digital, it's pretty fluid, right? Because you oh, can publish. I can, I can tell you about that for sure. I mean, I just published a book, and I know all right. the friction that's there, and I can completely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I have a copy. So your book, when you pushed that out, there was, I mean, is walking over hot coals, right, to get a thing out. And if there was a typo in there, you're kind of out of luck when it's when it's out in the wild, right? With digital, you change the typo, the next person that gets the book gets the right version, right? And I have found two typos so far, and they bug me to no end. <laughs> See? <laughs> It I'm happens. sure people will continue to bring them to your attention. Oh, please do. <laughs> All right, go. Well, welcome, welcome back, Don. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you. And and what's new with you, Frederick? All right. Well, what's new with me? I'm. I'm it's funny you bring that up. So. <laughs> Lots of stuff. So uh, first of all, I put out a call earlier this week on a couple of my social media networks uh, about TWIP. So we're looking for interns to help us with the show notes and stuff like that and, and kind of get in. This is an opportunity for people to, for someone, one or two lucky people to get in side twip and see how we produce the show, help us guide the show, help us pick the stories that we're going to talk about help us brainstorm on how TWIP is going to evolve. In general, be part of the This Week in Photo team, which right now is comprised of about five-ish people. So we're looking to, to grow that because we have some pretty interesting things 
coming uh, in the in the coming months that we're going to need a lot of help with. So we're looking to build out the team a little bit, and thought we would put a toe in the water and put the call out for a couple of interns. Luckily, I put that call out. I set up a little Google Doc form to capture the people that wanted to put their name in the hat, and so far, lots and lots and lots of people have raised their hand. So to all the folks that have put have submitted your applications already, thank you. And uh, for the folks that are just now hearing about this, I wanted to wait until this show went live so that the greater audience could hear about the call before I pull the form down. So I'm going to leave it up for about another week or so. And then we'll we'll go through the process of culling and making our final decision. So if you go to thisweekinphoto.com, there's a blog post up there about TWIP interns. You'll, you can't miss it. Click on that. There's a form on the page. Type in a couple of things, and boom, you're in the hat, in the running. So looking forward to, uh, to going through those. The second thing is as we record this, it is the 23rd of April, uh, two days from now on Friday. I am jumping on a plane, Air New Zealand, to head to... New Zealand. I'm going to go hang out with Trey Radcliffe and crew out there for about a week photographing landscapes in the beautiful country of, or continent, country slash continent of New Zealand. And, you know, I did some research and I was like, is New Zealand a continent or is it a country? It turns out Zealandia is a submerged continent. New Zealand is the little piece of it that sticks above the water. So it's, it's an interesting trip. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to hanging out out there with those guys. Trey Ratcliffe, Verena Patel, who's been on the show a couple times with her husband, Jay Patel, are also coming out there. And uh, it's going to be a good couple days of wine, photography, maybe a little more wine, some food, more <laughs> photography, and then some more wine. So, <laughs> so. so now we need to get you to South Africa so that you can compare the wines and see, you know. I am all for it. I am, I am, I am international traveler. Just make sure you don't traveler. support their rugby team, okay? That's, that's the wrong <laughs> rugby team to support. Uh-oh. Um, and where can people email you, Tristan, to uh, complain <laughs> about your behavior on Twitter? <laughs> No, no, it's good. So I'm li- enough about me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this trip. I'm in the process. I did some last minute shopping today and bought some hiking boots and all that stuff. So I'm excited. Um, before we jump into the show proper, I want to give a nod to the first sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts. You're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because you know it's kind of a one-man band here, managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end 
to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers. It invoices everything, keeps everything in track. And when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks and boom, I'm done. I don't have time. I want to be a photographer. I want to be out shooting. So FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a great service. It's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I, if I had known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks. So they, you know, when, when we send things out, they look professional, we get paid online. So there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at getfreshbooks.com and enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through tax time in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to getfreshbooks.com, enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and enjoy and make sure you know, you tell them that this week in photo sent you. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. Story number one is about Flickr, our friends over at Yahoo. They redesigned their mobile app, introduced a couple of new features in there. So it's got the ability now to capture and edit video. Look at that. What does that mean? Um, they've got improved search and responsiveness and tagging, you know, that can detect objects, colors, and scenes. So let me read that again. A tagging system that can auto-detect objects, colors, and scenes. Wow, that sounds very Terminator-like. And then the ability to view, view the full EXIF data for a chosen photograph. Uh, Don Komarechka, I'm sure you had a look at this little app here. Is this, uh, is this something that you're going to integrate into the world of Komarechka? I, you know what? I don't. The world of Kamarechka. That sounds interesting. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I don't really use photo apps on my phone or my tablet. But really? I will tell you one thing that's uh, that's kind of fun. Uh, I, I've been sort of a, a, a to and fro Flickr user here and there. I mean, I bounce on and off of it, and I was just posting recently to it because of this new app, because it makes it a lot easier to connect with people. And I think the interaction level has gotten a lot higher because since they've rolled it out, I've had more comments on my photos and I've had more people following me on the service. And so immediately I can see just from that how other people are using it. Uh, yeah. And it's a lot easier to, for people to find and enjoy and, and comment on your work. Uh, and, and I did take a look at it just to see exactly how it worked and it's marked markedly better than the previous versions. I, you know, a few caveats that I'd say, capturing and editing video, well, it works fine on my iPhone 5. If I were to be using an older device, uh, you know, that maybe doesn't have enough horsepower, it might be a little bit suspect to, to exactly how it can do that real time, uh, yeah. like I've been, been seeing it do. And, and so I, there might be some growing pains as... Uh, uh oh Looks like oh. Don, Don has frozen oh, right oh, on shit. the word growing pains. <laughs> <laughs> All right, while, while we wait for Don to catch up and get back on, uh, Tristan, have you seen this app, the Flickr, the new redesigned Flickr app? I, I started playing with it a little bit. I noticed that it updated, and then life got a little bit busy immediately after I saw that. Um, but I, I finally got some time to, to experiment with it, and it's, it's a very, very different uh, feel in, uh, to the app. 
I, I'm still trying to decide if I like it 100%, but um, yeah. but it's definitely some of the improved features in that are going to strengthen their position, I think, from a mobile space. Um, but yeah, I, I, the auto syncing kind of thing is also quite interesting. So I, I use my mobile tablet, or well, I, my Xperia Z Ultra, to kind of as a substitute tablet, um, and uh, I, I, I use that to kind of get guys my, my pictures on their on the move kind of view and edit them a little bit. And the auto backing up feature of that is quite interesting because yeah. it's. Um, I've now got my mobile devices backing up to Dropbox, backing up to Google Plus, and backing up to to Flickr, um, which is you know so you've got multiple cloud storage versions, even if they're lower why res versions. Of why apps. why so much backup? Why are you going into three places? It's just interesting to see how the different networks uh, systems work. So uh, m the Dropbox I mainly use for the pictures that I shoot with my phone. Um, yeah. You know, so depending on how the phone sets up its, its photo management um, system, not all of the images I import to a device will necessarily back up to to my Dropbox. Um, but uh, like for example, on my iPhone, um, I, I enjoy using that to be able to kind of take pictures of the family and what have you. So I have a lot of images up there which I want to get offline. Um, so it syncs to my, my Dropbox account when my phones are charged at night and you know once or twice a month I'll go and empty my camera upload folder to my, my storage, my hard drives, my backup hard drives and I've got them. So I use it more as a means of transferring images uh, across uh, different devices easily. Um, and the Google Plus, um, I use that auto upload functionality just because of auto awesome. So I, right. there's nothing better than being able to take you know a trip to the park with the kids where I shot a couple of pictures of my Alpha 7 and some video and sync it across to my mobile device. And um, you know, a, a day or two later, this thing pops up and says, "Here's an auto awesome video for you of of what happened that day." And you share that out to the family, and they can never complain that you never show pictures of the grandkids and things yeah. like that. Um, I like the I so, like the awesome feature in Google Plus, and you know it's a uh, for me though it's you know I like to be surprised like hey I'm looking through my library and I see that it added these cool effects or made an animation or threw some snowflakes on something or you know or otherwise made something that I wasn't expecting but I and maybe I'm just maybe I just don't know how to use it properly but I want to be able to turn that on I mean I want to be able to like say okay here's a sequence make the sequence auto awesome or do something to this you know i don't want to have to wait you know but you can so that tell me how tell me on android and <laughs> if you open up the photos app on android you have yeah. the opportunity to go and say you know go through the highlights section and create an auto awesome video at the very least maybe not all the auto awesome pictures there you go mm -hmm. um in, in the Photos app on 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 Android, um, there is a place to be able to create awesome, essentially, um, on a particular date range. So I did that recently where it suggested, um, you know, it, it, it wanted to create a video of a date where I had done some visits in the market and, you know, later that afternoon had a family thing. And um, I don't want pictures from inside stores inside my family photographs. And right, so I had right. the ability to be able to go and then remove those images and add in other ones that I wanted as well. Um, or more recently, you know, went, uh, when we went out with my, my kids, um, I wanted to make something then and there to share. 
And so, yes, you go into, there's a feature within the Photos app to create an auto and awesome video, f select the images and, and features you want from a particular highlight in your yeah. timeline, and, and it's possible. So it's that, so that is really cool. That's why, because I was using this phone, this phone, <laughs> that's why, to use AutoAwesome. So AutoAwesome, on this one, I have less control on the iPhone than I do yes. on the Android phone, right? It was, it was another requisite, because I, I moved over to the iPhone at the beginning of the year, um, and... Uh, you just went all Mac on me. You, like, you were the oh, Android-toting... <laughs> Like, I like tablet phone <laughs> with a Windows machine, dude, and now you got a MacBook Air and an iPhone and, a, and an iPad. <laughs> Windows 8 got me to my Mac. My <laughs> Mac helped persuade me to keep an iPhone because I've never Windows really kept 8, them for Windows long 8, the gateway <laughs> drug to Mac OS. <laughs> Um, and, and besides, Android's the dominant player now. I like supporting the underdogs. The iPhone made wow. sense. Apple <laughs> is the underdog. Wow. <laughs> That's your in South Africa. In South Africa, I will tell you right now, um, you know, what you know, Apple could buy is. South Africa, just so you know. Afri <laughs> Apple, Apple could annex South Africa. I, I, I would <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, why does the South African flag have a Apple on it? I don't know. <laughs> it could happen. All right, I just got an email from Don. Don dropped out, and I sent him the link. He's coming back in. He had a power outage up there in Canada. Oh. I mean, you know, Don, so pay your bill. The only people in the world, South Africa, we often feel that way. Yeah, we often power have power outage, poor internet connectivity. So. Well, I have Comcast here in the Bay Area, so I know about poor internet connectivity. It's always it's always a roll of the dice if I'm going to be able to do a hangout or not. So. So let's move on while we're waiting on Don. This is a good segue, Android versus iOS, because Google updated their the camera app on Android phones, which is why I've been I've got this camera this phone on my desk right now. Um, they updated the camera app on Android phones to include a new feature called lens blur. And I, I tweeted and and posted about this earlier today. So basically it is, it's kind of like a Lytro-like feature where Lytro uses their light field technology to allow you to change the focus of an image later. What Google is doing is they're using some really smart math to, uh, you take a photo and you sweep or do a panorama type uh, uh, movement of the camera when you're taking the photo. It knows that the camera is moving, and it basically figures out depth based on the movement of the camera and the focal length of the lens and the f-stop that it's shooting at, and then creates a depth map, which it then overlays onto that image to allow you to touch on things to make them selectively blur realistically later. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, but we'll link over to their breakdown on Google Labs uh, or on the, the, the Google Labs page later, but... Tristan, while we're on Don, I want you to comment on this. The if would you, first of all, have you tried this? Probably not, because you're an iPhone user. But I'm sure you read about it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you read about it. Well, I mean, but looking, first of all, what do you think about this functionality? In the is it, is it fake? I mean, can we truly simulate depth of field programmatically like this? I, I have a slight problem with the way that this app actually does it. So I, I experimented a little bit with it. Um, in fact, over the weekend, um, my my brother, who 
recently got back into photography himself. Um, was very excited when he saw I had an, an Android device with me, and he installed the app, and he showed me how the sphere, the photosphere worked, and and all yeah. of this kind of stuff. And and he showed me the lens blur, and I, I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. And then when I saw it in the show notes, I experimented with it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sold on it because it it's um, certainly in the little bit of testing I did with it, it, it seems to be almost lens babyish and less um, moving the the plane of focus through the image. Mm-hmm. So it it seems to center the sharpness around a circular area, and and you can improve you know increase or decrease the blur around that point. Whereas, you know, my understanding of the way that Lytro and the way that Nokia's implementation of this is working on some of their cameras, and I believe the new HTC One M8 works, is right. is to kind of give you 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 actually shift the 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 plane of depth of field in the, the image, point. yeah, and okay. and that that so so there's a slight different interpretation to that, which is you know what what what. Google's, I don't know if it's intentionally that or if it's maybe just with my device that it's looking like that is the case, um, but in the testing I did, it seemed to be more like the kind of toy camera effect in Instagram than it was the the the, the, the actual depth, the controlling of depth of field the way that Lytro does or the way that the Nokias do. That's so that, that for me was, was maybe not as well implemented as perhaps we as photographers would like to see it implemented. Yeah, I was. I, I mean, I haven't played with it. Literally, I'm just. I'm. I haven't even downloaded it yet. I'm. I'm going to right after the show and play with it. Um, but the from the the article that sort of broke down how they do the math behind it and the example images they had on that page, it looked pretty cool. I mean, it looked like it was actually finding the edges of like they did a portrait and it looked like it was really crisply. Really? Yeah, finding the edges of that person in the foreground and allow you to say, "Yeah, I want the background to fall away without because okay. the blur, the blur, the vignetting slash blur effect." You're right; it's been in Instagram forever. Um, I use it all the time in Snapseed, which is the you know it gives you the circular nodal point that you can then move around, and it just it's a radial out from there, which is cool, but not. From what I saw on that breakdown page, it wasn't. It's not as accurate as this is. So with this one, okay. like looking at me on the screen right now, theoretically people could take a picture of me, and then everything behind me except me would be blurred out. Should be blurry. Right. So yeah. It's possible that maybe what I was testing it on didn't give it the. So I I I was testing it more with like product type stuff and and scenes. So maybe it doesn't work mm. as well in that particular. Maybe it's optimizing its um it, it, the 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 way it's processing um that information for facial recognition or something like that, and it, it enhances the performance there. I, I as I say the the bit I played with it it didn't blow me away. It didn't look like something I would use um, specifically. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly interesting to see where they're going with it because uh, Nokia, I don't know how they, they don't require you to move the camera when they use their system. It kind of shifts um, the focal point um, in, uh, you know, to shoot six different images and it kind of stacks them and, and works a process like that. So, 
it, it's it's interesting to see how different cam companies are tackling the same thing. They, everybody seems to want more SLR-like image quality out of their phone, um, and so they're creating different ways of being able to implement this information. Um, right. So HTC using the dual camera functionality, um, you know, Lytra using light field. Um, yeah. stacking effect. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I, I, I think personally, I would probably have a lot more fun with the photosphere. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, what is interesting to also note is how Google is taking things that are key features for them on Android and making them standalone functions within the 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 Play Store. So one of the biggest complaints I've had with Android is. A Sony device, a Samsung device, feels like two different versions of Android on it because right. each company customizes it their own way. And um, you know what what Google's now essentially are doing is allowing people to have them the, their core apps and to Googleify their their phone essentially regardless of what brand it is. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. And we're having some some hangout gremlins here. My video started looking really crazy, but we're gonna we're gonna continue until it. You Google. ghosted on us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really going crazy here. I think Google's upset with us because we're talking about Android. <laughs> so maybe, so maybe this, I brought it upon us by buying an iPhone. I'm sorry. You did. You did. Well, I actually held one up. I think that may have have degraded the hangout. Um, so the other question on this is Tristan is the looking at algorithmic bokeh, right, rather than organic bokeh from lens elements and expensive lenses with beautiful depth of field and all that. Are we heading to a place now where that is something that that cameras are going to start competing on? You know, as computers and processing power gets faster and faster and the eggheads at, at places like Google start figuring these algorithms out. Careful now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We're going to crash completely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they start figuring this stuff out. Does this mean that the next playing field is programmatic comp or computational photography where who cares what kind of lens you have on there? I can simulate a 7200 zoomed out to 200 at F2 with software, and you it's indistinguishable from this $3,000 lens or $2,500 lens that I purchased. Do you think we're heading in that direction? I do. I, I... I think we're a long way off from it becoming a mainstream um, focus for for companies, um, or, or should I say, when I say mainstream, a mainstream from a, a camera point of view for us as photographers being an issue. I think for us, it's going to be about the gear to get the results for some time to come. But yeah. certainly for for consumers who, I mean, and and to be honest, it, it applies to many photographic enthusiasts as well. The market. How often have you printed a photograph? If you you spend most of the time sharing your images online, where to be honest, only the pixel peepers are really going to zoom in to see what the quality of it was like. You know, right. by and large, we're appreciating the full scape of the image that you shot on a screen, 13 inch, 15 inch. Uh, sometimes it'll be retina. Um, you know, and and do we really need more than an 8 megapixel file to achieve what we're looking for? Um, you know, and, and with that in mind, then yes, as a mainstream consumer, I wouldn't mind to have my portraits that I've shot with my phone, have a nice blurry background, look more professional-like, um, because I'm not going to be printing it. I'm not creating an album out of it necessarily. By and large, most of my images are going to be shared on social media. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think right now, 
that that is going to be a big focus. Um, you know, visual communication is the the main means of communication for many people these days. Um, yeah. We're just getting too lazy to read, so it's um, yeah. there's no bitterness there from my side. But um, <laughs> that that is really yeah. let it go, Tristan. Just let it go. <laughs> um, but really, that is the focus of it. it it's and. The more I look at the market and and where brands, you know, we we criticize brands as professional photographers for doing things that we don't always think makes sense for our business. And mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, they've got a much bigger audience that they're trying to capture. Um, you know, we we're not upgrading cameras every six months. Well, most of us aren't. So uh, you know, that's they need people to be buying stuff every month and getting new users on board. And so perhaps this is just a stepping stone for being able to get people more interested. Well, that wasn't too hard. How do I do this? If you look at some of Sony's more consumer-oriented cameras, they've also got a lens blur feature. They, you know, they they don't call it aperture priority. Um, you know, they have a program mode that allows a person to actually control the aperture, but all they thinking is they it's background defocus they're defocusing yeah. the background and and so the brands are making it more and more accessible for mainstream consumers to get better images um, and it just means that's we've, a preset, though. I mean, that's, we've had that for a while I mean you know throwing your camera into portrait mode makes it use a wider aperture so that the background goes out of focus people think yeah. it's like oh this is some magical portrait mode but in reality, generally what's happening is it's just opening up the aperture a little bit and, and, and putting it in aperture priority, essentially, picking a wider aperture and a, and a shutter speed to compensate for it. On some of the Sony and Panasonic cameras that I've played with, that mode takes it a step further where it will... like I was, It's funny because we, we were doing this hangout, this TWIP hangout with Doug K the other night, and I was taking pictures with the Panasonic GM1 of my food right before the hangout started and the camera actually a little icon popped up in the corner that said oh you're taking a food picture I'm like how do you know I'm taking a food picture camera <laughs> you know and, and it does the same for people you know it does the same for people it says oh you're taking a portrait boom okay I must blur the background a little bit all this stuff you know it's just it's That's a smart I know where the background is exactly it's yeah. It's incredible. And the mirrorless cameras, because of the way they feed live off of the sensor, seem to have taken this a, a step or two further than what SLRs have because they, you know, there's so much more it can do recognizing the scene straight off the sensor in terms of object recognition and the ability to track a subject and that. And it's incredible to see how much easier that that is bringing the, the, the system-based camera in for consumers. It's why companies like Sony and Panasonic and that are, are making such a focus on mirrorless cameras because it's that crossover point from someone from their mobile phone into the world of, of a system-based camera. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's an incredible thing to see where it's going. Um, I want to see if they're going to implement that technology into, you know, can Google do something like that to a hangout, like can they process the the video live where we could blur our background and, and oh stuff yeah, they like do that. it already. They do that already. Yeah, you okay. can do that. Today. Yeah, you can. Well, I mean, it, not I, probably not as cool as what it, what's happening on Android, but it does a rudimentary version of you know you can blur out the background a little bit. You could put a I could put a hat on Tristan if I wanted to. That that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you, you could put a hat on Tristan. I couldn't put a hat on Tristan. 
but yeah, it's cool. It's interesting where this stuff is going, just on the on the computational side of things, especially when we talk about mirrorless cameras, um, and and how that seems to be leading in a lot of ways in terms of the 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 software that that happens between the light hitting the sensor or actually the the light on the sensor and it getting into your your eye like a lot of things can happen like the focus peaking and now this blurring like what if we had real time blur on the background you know that was computational and tracking of movement and masking and all that wouldn't that be cool very very cool <laughs> <laughs> one day your kids will have cameras like that so so Frederick, if you want to get some funding together, um, I'm starting this new business, and we're gonna what we're gonna do is take photography to the next level. We're gonna create an app that you'll attach your phone to a um, a, a kind of quadcopter and hit go, and it will automatically just go out and take photographs and publish them online, and and you know come back and and tell you it's done, and <laughs> you won't even have had to get out of your armchair. That, yeah, it's done. Yeah, yeah. It's just you don't even have to go on vacation anymore. You just send the quadcopter no, exactly. out. The, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, Justin. We're still waiting on Don Komarechka. It's uh, confidence is low that he's going to return. But before we do, oh. continue with the show, I want to uh, give a nod to our second sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at Lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by Lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A. Com. You can learn what you want, when you want, with high-quality video tutorials at lynda.com. And Lynda gives you everything you need to improve your skills. Lynda offers a variety of instruction. You can learn software, creative business skills, photography techniques, web design, and more. They have over 2,000 courses and over 100,000 tutorials. They offer courses for all levels and they add new courses each and every day. Their courses are taught by industry experts and their instructors are accomplished professionals that are at the top of their fields and passionate about teaching. Linda's courses are high-quality video productions, and the videos are made in state-of-the-art studios. They use screenshots, narration, live action, smart boards, charts, graphics, and audio. No homemade YouTube videos here. Linda.com courses are convenient. You can take them anytime from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. Each Lynda.com course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump to in to find a quick answer. You can quickly search transcripts to easily find the information you're looking for. And for one low monthly price of $25, they give you unlimited access to the entire course library. You can start improving your skills with a free seven-day trial, including unlimited access, at lynda.com slash twip. And you can show your support for This Week in Photo at lynda.com slash twip. We thank lynda.com for their support. Linda.com, what do you want to learn today? All right, Tristan, I want to hit on this this third story really quickly. It's about iFi. They announced a new cloud service. And let me let me read the blurb. Uh, it says iFi makers of wireless memory cards have launched a new cloud service dubbed iFi Cloud. The new service, which will cost $49 per year, receives photos captured by a camera to iFi's own Wi-Fi enabled SD card. The card uploads them to the, to the cloud using a paired internet connected smartphone or tablet as the conduit. So I read this and I, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit because I'm thinking, can't 
can't I do that? <laughs> can't I do that now? Isn't that what the the smart update thing is doing with Dropbox and with Google and all that stuff? It's the same thing, right? I I I feel kind of bad for iFi in this particular situation because the way I read this story is. More and more cameras are having Wi-Fi built in. The need for our card is decreasing in terms of of really functionality and and cameras that uh, or new cameras coming to market that require us. How do we you know validate the need for our product further? And oh, let's let's create a system for people to to sync their images to the cloud. And it's it's again it, the problem with something like that is you now need to try and convince somebody. Of another service to sign up for and make use of and remember account details for and hope what it won't get hacked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and and I, I feel it's it, it's a difficult one. I think first prize would have been to try and and tie up something with an existing cloud service provider like a Dropbox or something like that. Um, yeah, and and at the same time, my understanding was that iFi had you know had certain ability to you know, get home, your iFi card syncs up to, you know, your Flickr account or Photobuck or whatever it was right. in the past right. through through their services. So is it maybe not just a way of repackaging something that they had before but trying to internalize a little bit more of the potential revenue from it later on? Uh, yeah. it, it's a difficult one. Um, uh, there, there's one thing that I do still like about the iFi card, which very few of the Wi-Fi cameras are offering in the same way, and and that is the ability to be able to transfer while you shoot. Um, and uh, I know Samsung, some of their cameras do it, for example. But by and large, most of the Wi-Fi enabled cameras require you to go into a Wi-Fi mode, choose which images you want to copy over, um, copy them over before you can start using them. Whereas the iFi has the option to, as you shoot, transfer directly to your mobile device. And yeah. that's something that I do still miss a little bit. When you're out on a photo walk, get to a coffee shop and the images are already waiting for you. It's not one more pro step in the process to do it. At the same time, you copy over a lot of things which were maybe not keepers as well, and, and so you've got to go and delete those at a later stage. Yeah. So th there's, yeah. there's two, two arguments for it. I was looking at this from the standpoint. I think you hit it right on the head. I think they, a, a lot of it is, it seems like marketing, you know, because it's, yeah. we have to figure out, a, we, we have to figure out a way to use this word cloud in our marketing. <laughs> so let's put this in there. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, the folks uh, in the notes here, we've got some, some notes from, uh, that Bruce put in here about the folks at PC World and what they said. So they did a hands-on review, and they entered, let's see, they identified issues like they said the setup isn't as straightforward as it could be. Currently, there's no way to upload... Uh-oh, I'm editing the doc. Look at that. Currently, there's no way to upload photos to their cloud by inserting the cloud into the card into a PC, and the photos from the cloud, from the card, end up being stored on your device as part of the process of uploading to the cloud, which could then be an issue if you don't have much in the way of available storage, etc. So, I don't know. You know, when I when I look at this, I'm like, okay, it's interesting, but Devil's Advocate says, is this a disease in search of a cure, or is it a cure in search of a disease? I think it might be the latter. It's a cure in yeah. search of a disease that you know no one quite has yet. What do you, what do you think? Or, or for which there's already existing solutions, which right. it's already been cured. <laughs> so. You know, my, my current iFi card, if you're using an iPad or an iOS device, you know, if you've got a current iFi card syncing to an iPad, for example, 
you can have Dropbox automatically upload those images already to their servers. So, you know, again, and now with the Flickr app and stuff like that, I, I think, I think it's uh, it's maybe a little bit too late to try and get into that space. And that that the first prize would have been to tie up a partnership to make it more seamless into their system. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, are you so just to close this off? Is this something or this this feature? You you've touched on it before a little bit. I mean, would this be a feature? Just the ability to throw stuff in the cloud. Is this stuff something that you'd use in your professional life going forward? Of course, we're all going to use it, or a lot of us will use it personally. Like you got pictures of the kid, they're on the cloud. It's easy to share, or they show up in Google Plus. It's easy to share out. But what about professional? Do you see yourself using it on that level? I I, I see. I see a, an opportunity for, for example, once images in that are in Dropbox, it's very easy to share those images across to, um, you know, clients and and stuff like that. I I kind of like that functionality of it. So um, I don't know necessarily that I would auto awesome work for a client, um, but certainly the Dropbox side of things. Um, I think there is a, an opportunity for photographers, and I know many photographers who do that. That they are using their their Dropbox to back up some of those images and to be able to then share the images um, immediately to to clients and that uh, f through the service, rather than you know linking into another service to serve that purpose. Um, yeah. I think one of the challenges we face, though, with any high-res image work is upload speed. So, you know, um, in South Africa, for example, our internet download speeds are increasing and increasing, but our upload speeds are just really useless still. So, um, and, and so I think that, that becomes an issue. Yeah. Well, your upload speeds can't be that bad because your video looks pretty good compared to mine. Uh, and I'm supposed to have insanely <laughs> fast bandwidth here, and I look like a slideshow right now. <laughs> yes, but I'm using mobile data to achieve that. My landline data gives me half a meg upload. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on iFi, and uh, maybe we'll get Ziv Galat on to uh, to tell us the real deal about the iFi cloud. Um, all right, Tristan, let's move on to the listener Q&A. This is where the listeners can submit a question to us, and we, we answer it. There's a question in here from Damien from our Google Plus community page. He says, I'm looking for a camera strap or harness to use while shooting weddings, mostly. I'm looking for a strap system that will support a 5D Mark II with a battery grip and a 70 to 200. Wow. Uh, and the same configuration on the other side with a 24 to 105 or 85 millimeter. Um, so basically two big SLRs with two one big lens and a kind of big lens on the other side. Do you have any suggestions for straps and or harnesses? So I can't suggest getting lighter cameras. <laughs> that, that's what's gonna, that was going to be my suggestion. I was like, Damien, first of all, dude, maybe um, go with something a little bit more, you know, less insanely heavy. Um, the only product that I've personally had experience with and which I can highly recommend, though, is the Black Rapper Double Strap. Um, yeah. I, I've used that before previously when I was shooting professionally, um, back when it first came out, and it's it's a workhorse. It's the only way that I would shoot with two cameras, um, even even if they were mirrorless cameras. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, uh, you, you just can't beat that system. It works really, really well. Do you find yourself doing that at all, though? I mean, I, I have one of those straps. And they're awesome. They're well made. If I had to go into battle and I needed two cameras, that's the strap I would carry for sure. But I, I'm not a wedding shooter for one. But yes. 
I, I have yet to find a situation where I absolutely needed to have two cameras loaded, ready to go at any one time. I could see maybe if I was like at one of the, the Democratic or the Republican National Convention during the <laughs> elections and I needed to run and gun and really be on the job. But, you know, other than that, I don't know when. Uh, I, I can see the benefit of it. Um, look, for, for street photography and stuff like that, we've generally started moving back to carrying one camera, one lens, or you know, two lenses and changing them when you need it to. Um, minimal equipment is ideal. But I, I, as a wedding photographer, most definitely I could see it. Photojournalists, I see them using it all the time. Um, right, right, so right. there's definitely an opportunity there. I think even... I think if uh, if I was going into an area where I didn't want to attract a huge amount of attention to myself either, what I've done in the past would have been to, to use a double strap. I was shooting with prime lenses, so I'd have a telephoto and a wide angle on, on the two different bodies, um, and then have a jacket over my, my, my stuff. So my cameras are kind of hidden under my jacket, and I can pull them up from out of there and shoot and not need to worry about changing lenses and stuff. So there are yeah. certain occasions where I would see it beneficial in, in that as well, when you don't want to be carrying a bag around and make it a, ta sure. a target for a snatch and grab kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, increasingly I'm finding myself with camera, wrist strap, single lens, and, and you know, kind of phone or a phablet in my pocket. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, that's, and that, that's kind of that's me. kind of my kit. I can see the pros, like especially like a Joseph Lenaski or someone out at a concert or something, you know, and you're you don't have time to be carrying around a bag and you don't want to be switching back and forth because you're going to miss the shot, so you just want to be at the ready, which is you know analogous to what the wedding shooters have to be. You got to be ready all the time. So yeah, I yeah. understand that. But from from the like advanced amateur, semi-pro kind of level where you're doing maybe some portraits and models and street photography and that sort of thing, landscapes. I don't know. But Frederick, you forget you've got to look the part. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to look like a gunslinger. You, you got to look like a gunslinger in the old west, right? Exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, Tristan. Uh, Damien, I hope that answers your question. All right, let's close off the show here. Uh, before we do that, our last sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo is our good friends over at Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right. So, let's, uh, okay, let's do the picks of the week. You know, this is the this is the segment where Tristan, I guess you normally it would be you guys. 
This is the segment where you, Tristan, get to pick something to recommend to the listeners as long as it is somehow photography-related. Don Komarechka has forfeited his chance to recommend something because he's having a power outage, an unforgivable part power outage. I don't know. <laughs> well, Tristan, I'll take his as well. <laughs> there you go. You can do both of them. What's your, what's your pick of the week? Um, so... I, I... As we've been chatting, something else has come to mind. My, my initial pick was going to be to focus on kind of the movement of mirrorless cameras. As I say, I love my Alpha 7. I, I think it's incredible to get a, a full-frame camera in something as small as what that camera is. Yeah. Um, and some of the lenses I've, I've been shooting with the Zeiss 55 1.8. I haven't had the money to, to buy one just yet, but um, <laughs> that lens is incredible. It is out of this world, the best lens I've ever shot with. Um, but, uh, you know, I've also been playing around with the new Alpha 6000 that just launched, which essentially replaces the NEX6 and NEX7. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's APS-C sensor, 24 megapixels. It has continuous autofocus at 11 frames per second. It is the fastest autofocus I've seen in a camera under 10,000 Rand or $1,000. Um, and the autofocus, I mean, compared to mirrorless, other mirrorless cameras out there, it's mind-blowingly fast. Um, does it get every shot of that 11-frame sequence in perfectly in focus? No. But then again, most SLRs in that price point don't either. So, um, you know, you're talking about 8 out of 11 frames. That's that's a pretty good hit rate, I think, for a camera. Um, you know, it, it's incredible. It's The autofocus is out of this world. So I, I would say if, if you're not in the mirrorless game yet and you, you want to try something out, um, I, w- I would certainly go and play with an, an Alpha 6000 this weekend. Give it a try and see what you think. It's it's mind blowing what that camera is capable of. Um, the other the other thought that I would the other pick that came to mind as we were were having this uh, discussion through the show is um, I, I would pick this weekend photo and particularly some of the sponsors in that which you guys have recommended um, as we've transitioned out of photo comment and into freelancing. Um, I cannot tell you how indispensable I found FreshBooks. Um, my new website is running on Squarespace. It's you know the information that we get here and the business tips and marketing ideas is incredible. Um, and so being you know as as photo commenters wound down and I found myself doing you know projects here and there, these kind of tools and the advice that I get, um, you know, actually putting them to the test has been fantastic. Um, and uh, you know it's it's important if you're thinking of getting into doing photography professionally, get the foundation right you know from the beginning. And you just you don't have time to mess around with other stuff and failed experiments and you know get 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 your admin done right, get the things done right the first time. I can highly recommend you know taking Twip and 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 the the, the sponsors of Twip that make this possible. Thank you. See, I think you, Tristan, I think you get the prize because I think you are the very first guest host to come on the show and recommend TWIP as a pick of the week. That is awesome. Thank you for doing that. It's a pleasure. But it, it's true. I, I look back at how long I've been listening to this podcast for and it, it's, I mean, going back to 2009, maybe even, I, I, I don't remember. It's like, I, I know I know, I was listening to it for a while before I went to Photokina in 2010, which was the, short, was the kind of the first time I, I came onto it. So yeah. it's, um, and I'd been listening to it for quite a while before then. And you, you've, the, the most important tool that you can have in this industry is, is knowledge and, and information. 
um, and to learn from from the people that appear here. And as I say, the the tips and tricks that you guys give, I think anyone who wants to improve their photography um, should do themselves a favor and and you know tune in every week. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to take that snippet and make a commercial out of it. I think that was fantastic. <laughs> that was perfect. All right. Uh, my... I'll send you my bill from, uh, I'll send you an invoice from FreshBooks. Oh, so no. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a little copyright symbol at the end of that. Um, my pick is from, so basically, like I was saying at the end of this show, there's an interview with my friend David Dushman. Um, and one of the things we talked about in that interview was his new ebook. It's called The Visual Imagination. So I have it. It's on my iPad. It's on my screen here as well. Um, and uh, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's a really, really interesting book. And he sent over a discount for us to share with a This Week in Photo audience. You can find that discount at uh, thisweekinphoto.com in the TWIP. 357 episode in the show notes um, but you know we'll link to it and we'll also put it in the uh, the email that goes out to our list as well but I think he's knocking uh, a huge percentage off the already low price of that book so basically it's a no-brainer to get it the book itself he goes into express uh, impressionistic photography and how you you know that a lot of it is our minds are centered around getting the sharpest perfect technically accurate, you know, rule of thirds image in the world when, you know, there's a, there's a whole world of anarchy and blurry, cool, impressionistic images and all kinds of stuff that we can do with just our iPhones or with any camera that we have available to us. So he goes into that a lot. I think it's, uh, it's really, really cool. All right. I feel like the Hangout is going to kill itself in a second here, so... <laughs> So I'm going to end the show. So that's the, that's the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Many thanks to our sponsors, FreshBooks, Lynda.com, and Squarespace. Tristan Hall, where can people go to keep up with you? Photocomment.net is still there for people who want to dive into the archives and, and see what, uh, what we wrote about in that in the past. Uh, we may still do something with that URL in the future, um, but otherwise they can find me on my new blog, which I personal blog, which I'm trying to get around to updating, which is uh, moremobilephotographer.com. Um, it's been there for a year or two already, um, but just not a lot happening with it. I've been pretty busy. Um, but that will be my kind of home on the internet, and then obviously on Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter, etc. We'll link to all of that in the uh, the post for this episode. For some reason, you're sound a little you're sounding a little bit like a robot now. I think, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the the hangout is just about out of steam here for us. Um, well, Tristan, thanks for coming on. Don Komarechka, we'll have we'll have links to Don's website, Twitter, Google Plus, etc. in the uh, the show notes. And also, listeners, be sure to check out the website, our website at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you want to connect with me, Frederick Van Johnson, personally, you can just hit me up at frederickvan.com. And with that, for episode 357 of This Week in Photo, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.
right, guys, I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine, Mr. David Dushman. He's the guy that's behind craftandvision.com. You may know them from the amazing $5 ebooks that they put out that are, in my opinion, way underpriced, but you could get them all for just a couple hundred dollars. Right? So David has agreed to join me. We haven't talked. We've done a couple of interviews on TWIP, but we haven't, we haven't had a chance to catch up in several years, and a lot of stuff has been going on, especially with regard to the gear acquisition syndrome that we talk about a lot. So I wanted to talk, bring David on and talk about his philosophy around gear versus vision because he's that guy that, that talks to that. And then I also want to talk about his new book that just came out. So we're going to talk about all this stuff and a whole lot more in this conversation. Mr. David Dushman, welcome to This Week in Photo. Hey, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing good. Was a, a better question is how are you? So Living the dream. You've been, well, I mean, living the dream and recovering from living the dream, right? So yeah, you right. had that spill a couple of years ago, and you had to go through some extensive rehabilitation and bionics and all kinds of stuff to get you back to where you are now. How, how are things going, first of all? Well, actually, it's, you know, like a lot of things in life, it's sort of two steps forward, one step back. Or, yeah. um, so two months ago, I, my schedule was completely cleared for a surgery, and I went in and um, nothing's been the same. I mean, when when I had my accident, the, I may have told you this, but the guy in the the emergency room says to me, and you know, bear in mind they've hauled me in. I fell 30 feet, shattered both my feet, but they didn't know this. So of course they assume there's some kind of internal injuries or spinal injuries, and um, so they're doing all of the that sort of thing. And and then when you know they get the X-rays, he comes back to me and he, he says he says, well. He says, you've broken both feet very badly. You will never walk the same again. He said, you'll always walk with a limp. And then he said, as though this were some amazing revelation, he said, but you will walk, you will limp with both feet, so it won't look like a limp. And I was, I mean, I was, they had cut all my clothing off. I was lying on this thing, you know, naked as a jaybird. And, and I just, I had tears streaming down my face. I was laughing so hard. You know, I don't know if it was the morphine or what, but you know, you will, you will limp with both feet. So it won't look like a limp. <clears throat> the reality is that the, my left foot healed pretty well. My right foot, I really screwed up. And so I've had a couple surgeries on it now, um, three surgeries, and this last one was to to join one of the like to fuse one of the joints so that it will no longer have any motion in it. Mm -hmm. um, the ankle sort of the ankle does kind of an up and down, and then there's joints that allow for side to side and kind of this weird other side to side kind of motion. Yeah. Um, and so they fused one of those, not the main ankle joint, but the Taylor navicular joint. Um, and which is okay because it wasn't really moving much before, but it was severely arthritic, and and so they kind of bound it up and cleaned out the arthritis, and so I've been told that my other joint now, my main ankle joint, should have like full mobility, which um, which could bring me back to you know there'd be some compensation, but as long as it's pain free, I think um, I think it's good good forward motion. So we're uh, I've just I'm literally like a couple days into learning to, to walk again and I'm still wearing a heavy cast and crutches and stuff but uh, so it'll be another month and then some you know some rehab and then I'll be you know out pounding the glaciers and the back streets of India or wherever I end up so it's uh, you know like like any uh, like any adventure you know the, the the 
protagonist gets sidelined once in a while by something he's got to deal with and it's it's given me time to be insanely productive and do some reading and kind of catch up with things and um, and then on top of all of this because I've been preparing for this I knew that I was gonna so I've been like printing my work and writing and um, so I've been preparing for this thinking okay I got like a chunk of months three months at least to kind of do nothing and on top of all of that last uh, September I was up near the Yukon up near the uh, the Arctic Circle camping, and I put an axe into my leg, oh. and uh, <laughs> the, the better <laughs> of the two legs, but all the same. So, oh. um, careful with that axe, Eugene. So it uh, it went into the and it, it hit the bone, and so then oh. I was on then I was on crutches and a cast for you know another two months, and I got all the stuff that I had stockpiled done, and so going into the surgery, it's like now what am I going to do? So um, I got bored. I wrote a couple books and. You know, and here we are. printed more of my work, and yeah, it's it's you know, it's been an adventure. I mean, it's the hero's journey times ten. It sounds like <laughs> you yeah, are ex exactly you're in the middle of the story, though, right? I mean, this is so the hero's journey. The hero is presented with some adversity, and then overcomes said adversity to go on and and get the girl at the end, right? So you're yeah. somewhere in there. You know? I'm at I'm at the innermost cave, and the problem is I keep ending up at the innermost cave. <laughs> um, but it's funny you bring up the hero's journey because I've I've been thinking about it a lot lately, more as sort of the artist's journey, and um, it's it's been really interesting because you know people want to want to watch all these great stories, but seldom do they want to go through all the things you have to go through to live a great story and when we get to conflict and adversity and and the speed bumps you know we kind of roll our eyes and go oh man I wish this hadn't happened but they're the they're the things that make our life interesting and, and make us interesting they make us who we are so not that I would willingly go back and and fall 30 feet off that wall but honestly I, I can say without being disingenuous it, it's been the best three years of my life it's been the, the person that I've become, I think my photography's got better, my writing has become more transparent and vulnerable. Um, I fell in love with uh, one of my students a week before uh, the accident in Italy and we've been together ever since. So it was, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a really interesting ride and parts of it I don't want to do over again, but it's That's been really cool. That's yeah. awesome. So let, let's switch gears and talk about Craft and Vision. A lot of people know you from Craft and Vision fame. You started that company. I remember when you started that company. I think you, uh, you, if I, if my memory serves, you wrote the first Craft and Vision book yourself in a coffee shop somewhere and just put it up there to see if people would buy it and yeah. look at us today. So let so give me the like the the thirty thousand foot view from that coffee shop to where things are right now. Is it everything that you believed it would be or or more? Well, uh, no, because I had no idea. I mean, I didn't have a belief about what it would be, you know, <laughs> as, as you pointed out. I, I mean, I wrote this book kind of, well, I wrote it for the first one, 10, which is now just free on, a, on the site. Um, uh, I wrote it because, well, for two reasons. One, I really wanted to learn InDesign and I'm not the kind of guy that would just sit down and learn InDesign. I sort of have to have a project to wrap my head around. Yep. And uh, and so I thought, you know, if I can figure out InDesign and get this ebook, then you know maybe I'll put it up on my blog for a few bucks. And but along the same time, I was having these conversations with a friend of mine who's in software and uh, is um, a pretty savvy business person. And so we were talking, and we were in Thailand, and he said, you know, the reason I can sit here and I was there to photograph, but he was just there hanging out, you know, and yeah. said the yeah. reason I can do this is because when I'm sitting on 
on the beach in a hammock. There's someone out there has just ordered another piece of my software and I get up from the hammock and someone else has just ordered another piece of my software. And and so he can he says as long as I can log in to my you know my account once every day or two just to make sure everyone's happy and serve my clients he said I can do that from anywhere in the world as long as there's internet so it sort of started me thinking and then I read I read a couple of books one was the four hour work week by um, by Tim Ferriss and yeah. he just he talked a lot about sort of the the new rich not being people with a lot of money but people with time uh, to do the things that they want to do with their lives and that kind of resonated with me not everything in that book is gold but but some of its platinum and and I sort of, it just kind of got a few things sparking in my mind. And I remember saying to my manager, Corwin, who's worked very, very part-time for me at the time, we were hiking, and I said, you know, what do you, what do you think about, like, I'm thinking about doing, like, an e-book or something. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, like, you know, let me know how that goes. Yeah. And, and so there were no expectations, which is nice, because I didn't sit down with a business plan and say, I'm going to get from here to here. I put the, the book out for $5, and to my total shock, people started buying it, and one thing led to another, and now we've got... Uh, quarterly magazine that's on the verge of becoming uh, bi-monthly and we've got uh, some video products that are about to come out and and somewhere along the way I realized that I'm this is not about ebooks it's about education and inspiration inspiring people to approach their craft from a, a slightly different angle than a lot of the the education that's already out there because it's already out there it's not that we're, we're saying that our way is better uh, we're saying our way is complementary and sort of filling a a bit of a gap with some voices that otherwise aren't getting heard, so yeah. it's gone really, it's gone really, really well. I mean, to to my uh, to my shock, it's sort of now it is the thing that allows me to do what I've always wanted, which is, you know, the humanitarian work, but to do it pro bono instead of working for large organizations that can afford to pay me or another photographer. I'm working for organizations that can't afford to pay me, but are are we're working together in collaborations on on things and places like specifically northern Kenya where my biggest client is but I can do that now pro bono and I can I can pursue personal projects that I that I want to do and so while everyone seems to be climbing the rung to get bigger and better clients um, I've been sort of on the other side of the ladder scurrying down because I, I don't want more and bigger clients what I want is the freedom to pursue my photography and so I'm sort of my biggest client now. Craft and Vision is my client. You know, I'm, I also run the thing, but I write ebooks for it, and it allows me to do other things like sell prints and and get my work out into the world in a, in sort of a, a way that's not beholden to another person's vision, which is totally okay. I think you can do both. I just didn't want to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you have the flexibility to not do it. Right. So where. Like as you as you went through this process, you know it sounds like it sounds like almost a classic internet marketer's dream, right? You had this idea, you put this thing out there, people bought it, so you build infrastructure and refine the infrastructure, and now you can sit on a beach in the south of France and check your phone and hey, I made sales, you know, sure. that that kind of thing, and that's kind of where you are right now. Going through that process, what would you say were were, were some of the lessons learned about you know maybe from the standpoint of Okay, I messed that up. I should never do that again. Or biggest successes? Well, it's I, I don't know that we've had any huge mess ups. We you know we always learn. There's always something that doesn't go well with tech, and we've had to a number of times just be very um, 
you know, people get angry if they order a book and it doesn't show up and, and it can always happen just like emails get lost in the ether. And so we've just learned to, to be very, to make sure we're always listening and to always apologize, to make it right very quickly and, and usually to do one better. You know, if someone doesn't get their book, we give them an, a new book and if it's really problematic for them we refund their money and or you know or give them an, a, another free book or something just to you know because people want to be heard and and so that's in terms of sort of mess ups um, that's probably the worst of it what's been interesting is that the learning curve has been sort of this like gradual series of hey what if we did this and then we try it and some some of them don't work and for example we started out and the books were five dollars and now we're starting to expand our offering there will be some books that are, are five dollars or, or near that mark but there are also some that are, are twenty and that's been a it's it's been a kind of a fun transition because you know people people think that we're the five dollar ebook company right. we're trying to we're trying to make people understand that actually our goal is not five dollar ebooks our goal is high value so if you buy a five dollar ebook our goal is that really you're getting fifteen dollars worth of value if you buy a twenty dollar ebook you're getting sort of a forty dollar value or more we just want it to be high value but you know the more the bigger things get the more people you have to hire in terms of copy editors and layout and legal lawyers and I mean they, it's gone from me kind of banging something out on InDesign to a whole team of people that do this kind of big production thing and yeah. um, you know so things have changed but it's been what's been wild in terms of you know lessons learned is I think it would be very easy to think, oh, I'll just write a, an ebook and put it online, and and people are are doing that by the score. The, the thing is, one, they're thinking about it as ebooks. When people aren't really, they're not. No one's sitting at home going, you know what I need? I need an ebook. They're right. thinking, you know what I need? I need to learn this, or there's a gap in my knowledge here. And so, one, we're not about the ebooks; we're about the education. And two, you, unless you have an audience that you see as an audience not a not specifically as a market not pockets to be emptied but a, an audience of real human beings that have needs and wants and, and unless you're connecting with that audience and that's that's for me that's job one because I don't do production anymore because I rarely do my own layout uh, most of the stuff we publish I do not actually write I mean it's we've got all these other authors now that are publishing with us sort of as a legitimate publishing company but my job, uh, among among others, is just to maintain an audience base and let people know we hear them and to inspire them to keep going. You know, there's so many amateur photographers out there that are, are frustrated, and I think the main source of their frustration is the popular education culture and the manufacturers. You know, the gear right. acquisition syndrome is, is, I think, it, as you pointed out earlier, I mean, it's, it's worse than from my perspective than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, the flip side, the positive side of that is there's new opportunities in terms of what gear can can make possible for us. But like anything that human beings are involved in, you know, we often sort of kind of take that to the like the furthest possible extreme. Of course. And yeah. just, you know, just because it comes out we have to buy it. And so I think that's leading to a lot of frustration. People that, you know, they just got their whatever they saved up to buy a used 5d you know mark one and now there's something else and all these voices telling them you need bigger you need better and they need someone out there that can just say you know what it's about the photographs go make your photographs you don't need a 5d mark three it's people people are putting more money on their credit cards to buy these things and they're going into debt and photography 
the way I do photography. It should be about enlarging your life. It should be about bringing good things to your life. And anyone that's going into debt just to, you know, impress another photographer is probably also not out there really exploring their craft, really sort of chipping away at their their vision and figuring that out. Yeah. So how, uh, how do you combat that though? Because you know there's a, it's the the multi-million dollar budgets from these from the camera manufacturers and consumer electronics companies out there that the the pressure's on them to stay alive. So the pressure's totally. on on those companies to create something that is irresistible so that the market hopefully will not realize that they could do some amazing work with, with cameras that came out five years ago. They need this next big thing or the next big thing is, you know, high ISO or right. large sensor sizes or something. So people feel like they have to get that. How do you, how do you combat do. that? Especially if you're new to this stuff. Well, I, I mean, personally, I don't try to combat it. I, I figure that there are people out there that need to hear it. And for those people that are, that need to hear it, that want to hear it, um, I, I try to write a blog that is consistently encouraging with the odd rant about this thing because, you know, once in a while, I, I try to sort of channel Gandhi, but once in a while Rambo comes out and I'm just like, God, oh, I'm so frustrated with all this nonsense. Mm -hmm. Try to push it back in and, you know, Gandhi and Rambo have, have sort of an inner dialogue. Um, <laughs> most of the time Gandhi wins out, but occasionally a rant comes through. But generally, I, it's not my job to... I mean, I like the cameras. I have nothing negative to say specifically about the camera companies. It's it's just we need a, all of us individually need, I think, a more balanced perspective and just need to understand why we're into it. A, a friend of mine once very wisely said, David, he said, remember that he's a musician as well as a photographer. He said, in the music world, there are musicians and there are guitar collectors, and very often they're not the same thing. And there are people out there who want they like the gear. They they want to do things like calibrate lenses. I've never calibrated a lens in my life. I've, <laughs> I've never gone into the back end of my camera and moved my you know white point you know slightly to the more magenta. And I mean, I that kind of geekery doesn't intrigue me. I'm not interested in whether one copy of a lens is marginally sharper than the next copy. I it just doesn't. Um, but there are those people, and I have nothing negative to say about them. But if your goal is to make photographs that move people that engage with some kind of audience and express something inside then I think there are uh, there are some best or better practices and and I want to speak to those kinds of people now doesn't mean that in our in book uh, our ebooks we don't have some very technical things I'm just not the one writing them so we have people like Nicole Young and Pete Vandenine and Martin Bailey who do the more technical books and I do the ones that are more fundamental because I really believe that any camera built over the last hundred years, you can take out and make some beautiful photographs with some constraints, of course, but creativity always happens within constraints. So we even with your pinhole camera, you can go out and make some beautiful photographs. They probably will not be action, sports, you know, long lens wildlife photography. They will be their own thing. But yeah. whatever camera you've got, your iPhone, your... And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the gear. I just like to be the voice that says, hey, remember in all of this chaos that there may be something more important than all of this. And if you can't afford the latest Sony, you know what? Shoot with shoot with whatever you've got. And if that's a if that's a like you can get a Nikon F3 on KEH or whatever or eBay for like three hundred dollars, another hundred dollars for a decent lens, and you can be photographing 
to your heart's content, you know, for, I mean, limited only by how much you can spend on film and processing. And, and will the photographs be, will they, they be amazing? Well, yeah, potentially, because we're still looking at images from Henri Cartier-Bresson. He didn't shoot with a D4X or whatever the, the latest Nikon thing is. He, he shot with his old Leica and 35 millimeter film and a couple of lenses, you know. So I, I, I think there's some perspective in this whole conversation, not one or the other, but a question of where, where do individually do we find our own balance? You know, because again, we don't all want the same thing. So I'm not trying to combat anything. I'm just trying to bring perspective to those who want it or just a need. You know, sometimes we talk about giving people permission to sort of feel that frustration and and be okay with being just an amateur. These days, I actually talk about it more in terms of I'm just a pro because I actually think the amateur designation is a much bigger, um, more noble kind of thing. And all of these. Yeah. All of these bitter pros that are on about photographers, and you know, this, there's so much bitterness going around right now right. that yeah. I'm I'm trying very hard to be a voice that says, hey, you know what? Let's just do this. The the motto for our for craft and vision is for the love of the photograph. Let's just do this for the love of the photograph. Let's just not worry about what lens you've got on your camera or what what camera you've got on your lens. Yeah, let's just go make photographs. That's it's funny you say that because the the word amateur means for the love of. Right, where professional is, you know, you're being compensated because you have a, a level of skill up to a certain degree, and you can produce repeatable results for which you can be compensated for. So you're a professional. Right. Amateur means for the love of something. So yeah. you you are an amateur photographer. You do it because you love it, not because it's paying the rent, kind of thing. Yeah. So perfect. And, and I I think it's I think I mean I have nothing against so-called professional photographers. I consider myself one, but I think you can't be. The dangerous place is not when you're only an amateur. The dangerous place is when you're only a pro and you're not also an amateur. When when you as a working professional stop loving what you're doing and you get maybe stuck in your marketing niche. I was talking to a friend who's a wedding photographer recently and and she was saying, you know, I I don't want I'm just the mojo's gone. I don't want to do weddings anymore. Yeah. Well, as a wedding photographer, the best thing that you I think when you get to that point, the best thing you can do is pull out of weddings and and find a new niche. But but if you're if you're so kind of embedded in that world, how do you extract yourself? Right. I don't know. I mean, we we dig ourselves our own ruts and getting out of a rut's pretty pretty challenging. It is, especially when that when that rut is, you know, paying the rent. So you exactly. just got, it's not easy to say, you know what, today I'm I'm done with weddings. I'm going to go shoot something else. But, but you know, but it's it's rarely as cut and dried as that. And and for you know, for the friend that I was talking to, I gave her the advice that I, I myself have tried to follow. If if you don't want to do a hundred weddings a season, double your fees because most wedding photographers I know are not making what they should. Uh, you double your fees, and I guarantee there will be some attrition among your clients. Um, you will probably lose half of your clients, but. Even if you lose half your clients, now you're working half of what you used to work, and you're making the same amount of money. I mean, it's it's not always that cut and dried in terms of finances. Um, everyone will have to find their own sweet spot. Maybe it's not a doubling of fees. Maybe you increase it by 35%. But pulling back, because it's not that my friend doesn't want to photograph weddings anymore. It's that she doesn't want to be caught up in the whole you know 50 weddings a season and and all of that it's it's the loss of kind of life work balance yeah. and just simply increasing the fees allows you to work less make the same amount of money and find that joy 
it wasn't that she didn't like the weddings. It was she just didn't want to do so many of them. Yeah. So yeah. if you can if you can pull back and you can find that sweet spot where now you love your work again, or maybe it's just changing the the parameters for your client relationships. Maybe you're so sick of doing things like formals that you just say, hey, you know, I will happily do your wedding, but you need to understand that that. In this day and age, there are things that I can do, and there are things that, that the people at your wedding can do better than me. So there will be three or four DSLRs at every given wedding. Mm-hmm. Harness one of them and have them go out and do the formals because they probably know the people at the wedding better anyway. They they may actually have a better shot at getting better portraits because there's an intimacy and a um, you know a relationship there already. So I, I still think we need to be in business as creative as possible and just throwing in the towel and saying I don't want to do weddings anymore may not be the right solution. As you pointed out, you still got to put food on the table. You still got to eat, yeah. Yeah, you still got to eat, but I think there's so many, if if business people got more creative and start asking, hey, what if I did this? What if I did that? Instead of just looking at the templates and following whoever's hot in the wedding world or the fashion world or whatever right now, instead of following in someone else's footsteps going, what, what makes sense to me and let's give it a try. Yeah. It's, well, let, let's like, talk about that. So, bringing it back to the to the ebook side of thing, I know you just released. Is it is the the new book out yet? It's called I've got it up here, the Visual Imagination. So yeah, just uh, it was actually released a week ago today. Wonderful, congratulations. So, tell Thank me you. about this book. I'm looking through it right now, and it, it's it's a beautiful book. So, and and it goes in slightly a, an unexpected direction. Right, so normally these books we're looking at. Okay, here's a landscape, and this is how I did it, and this is what right. my mindset, and this is the lens, and all that stuff. This is not that book. Tell it's, me, what was the impetus here? Um, well, it started. It started uh, quite a while ago, actually. It started with my accident. Um, I was in a wheelchair, and my girlfriend came to visit, and she took me to the art gallery in in Ottawa, and I was sitting in front of this beautiful big painting by a Canadian impressionist. And, you know, big, bold brush strokes, very kind of, well, like any Impressionist uh, painting. It was just sort of not, you know, if you would ask the painting did, painter, did it really look like that? You know, right. well, right. not really, and yet sort of it did, does. And so I was looking at this. It was one of the group of seven, a, a Canadian Impressionist group. And, and I was looking at it and going, you know, what can I do to make my photographs have that kind of feeling because I could almost feel like the you know in the beginning of this book I talk about this experience and I could almost feel like the the wind on my on my my skin and the the temperature of the uh, of the sun and and it was a it was more than just looking at a painting it was experiencing the subject that had been painted this this beautiful you know landscape and yeah. so I started thinking about the visual experience, not just the technicality of making a photograph, and and that led me to looking at impressionists and post-impressionists, and and it's not the book is not a, a study in art history by any means. It's an introdu- an introduction to some, and uh, you know like the the image that's just coming up on the screen there is by Turner, and my studying these painters led me to studying Turner and looking at the incredible way that he used his color palettes and and these paintings that are are not necessarily literal and I started thinking about how photography is so often you know merely literal and we could do so much more it doesn't mean we we uh, are obligated to do more but there is an opportunity for those that want to to create photographs that feel differently and have a different um, 
experience to them, so abstracts and impressionism and that sort of thing, because our cameras are capable of of so much, and so slower shutter speeds and multiple exposures and and all of that kind of stuff. So this really is a, a book that encourages people to to break the rules. Um, it's funny as this book's going by, if it's hitting my talking points. We should just turn, <laughs> turn this into an online seminar. I know, uh, right? But but the idea that you know there are rules in photography, I kick so hard at even this notion of well, you got to know the rules before you break them. I still think that's nonsense. I think you have to understand principles. But the, and maybe it's just splitting hairs. But the word rule to me implies that that someone has said you must do this or you must do that, and and if you don't, the consequences are this. And I truly don't believe that. I think there are principles of. Um, visual communication. There are ways that we commonly experience visual media like photographs and paintings. And so this book is really just, it's a its a bunch of ideas and exercises to get people thinking outside the box. The, the, the bigger picture is, I think, Frederick, when we learn to, when we learn to kind of put the literal stuff aside and we go and like put a macro lens on something like you know a flower or something or we're, we just commit to using one-eighth or a four-quarter of a second shutter speed for a while we learn to see differently and and that's probably the the biggest thing that I want people to take away from the book because photography the job of a photographer is not just to press the button I mean our, our cameras are so capable right now without being trite about it almost anyone can make a photograph that is now sharp and well exposed yep. but are we truly seeing because seeing is the job of the photographer and and whether or not you ever make an abstract or an impressionist photograph that ends up in your portfolio is totally not the point L going through visual exercises that help you see better and see in terms of form because you look at a flower and you go oh it's a flower and you're going to compose it as though it's a flower the moment you get really tight in there to the point where it's no longer visually it's no longer a flower it's a green shape and a red shape and then the question is okay all I have is a green shape and a red shape how do I compose that mm -hmm. to create you know this visual experience it brings us to the most foundational elements of photography composition you know what are my shapes doing what are my lines where's my energy my balance my tension that kind of thing you engage in that for a couple of hours every week or you know whatever tickles your fancy when you pull back out and then go shoot a wedding you you will be seeing differently you will be seeing in terms of shape and color and and it will teach you know if you're willing to see these kind of visual exercises will help you see and so I only ever really write books the book that I need to read at the time and for me what preceded my writing the book was my own adventure in sort of learning to see abstract and in terms of impressionistic stuff and will that ever become sort of the bulk of my work of course not but there will always be exercises that lead me to a new place and maybe you know I have a, a series from the Arctic last year um, or just the subarctic in the Yukon and all the colors were changing and a lot of the, the images from that book uh, in that book were from that series and and they are a significant body of work for me now because I, I played, I played, I played until one day when I was actually out here I went, you know what, this is more than just play for me. I mean it's still play but it's also a body of work that's becoming something that I never expected and that's the beautiful thing about creativity. It kind of takes us 
you, you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah. So, and it has also improved my more literal photography as well, be, just purely by bringing me back to to these foundational basics. I love this. I mean, look, looking at this book, it's very well laid out. It's beautiful. It's it draws you in. Um, so when when I'm looking at this, one of the questions I had that that popped up was, and you know, we we kind of touched on this a little bit before, you know, with Craft and Vision, you know, and and the evolution of the business. Will we ever see a day when you come out of the digital realm and move into physical printed books? Like like a book like this, I could see on a coffee table in the living room and I'm flipping through it, you know, guests are sipping coffee or tea looking at this book, which is not exactly possible digitally. I mean, you can put an right. iPad there, but, you know, it's yeah. a different feel. Will we ever see those days when Craft and Vision goes to Adams? Um, yeah, I'm, well, I mean, we, we have in a sense. My, uh, my fine art book that I published this last year um, was called Seven, and mm -hmm. Seven was done through Craft and Vision Press, uh, which at this point is, has only one book in its bibliography, and that is Seven. Mm -hmm. the, the problem, Frederick, is that on the, the scale that we're looking at, it just it really doesn't pay. I mean, you look at the hard books. I mean, my, my hard copies that are out on Amazon for, through Peach Pit, you know, authors make $2 a book if you're lucky. Um, in fact, I was just looking on my Amazon affiliate page, and, and there are times when I make more from an affiliate link than I do as the author. In fact, more often than not, that is the case. And if my books sell in Canada or internationally, uh, I make half of that. So... It's and that's just as the author. I mean, if I become the publisher and have to actually pay for the print job and the shipping, and it's um, it's difficult, and it means that we have to charge much more. And I think largely for education, people don't want to pay fifty dollars for the book and shipping. They want to pay ten, maybe twenty, and you know that's kind of it. And so yes, there will be some books. I'm next month. I'm putting out a new one. Uh, it's actually tied in with this one in the sense of there being no rules, but this this is a book. There's literally no photographs in the book, um, and it's more of a, a life. It's about creativity. It's called A Beautiful Anarchy, and it comes out on June 1st, um, and there will be a an actual hard, you know, atomic version of, of the book, <laughs> yeah. um, as well as Kindle and that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the economies of scale just really aren't there. If we were going to print... 20,000 we could probably get the prices down pretty pretty good but it's just realistically and then I have to hire someone to box the books to ship the books I have yeah. to it's it's such a different paradigm and I think it's I love paper books I mean like you my my bookshelves are full of photography books yeah. but where I pay my money is for books that are books of photographs um, or novels, fiction, that sort of thing. Yeah. Educational stuff, more often than not, ends up on my iPad or my Kindle. And it would be sort of a step back for us to go to paper products uh, in terms of, um, I mean, the margins just aren't there. And, and yeah. we, can, we can have authors, you know, across the world that write for us, that write, you know, their own books through us. And they make a significant, I mean, they make a really good royalty, whereas if we did paper books, we'd be back to charge, you know, giving them $2 a book. Right, and yeah. It's, the it's distribution the distribution mechanisms are different, and I would the way I would phrase it is, on the internet, there's a lot less friction, right? Yeah, so with, with the printed books, there's a lot of friction involved, and then 
on top of that, there's the just the, the timeliness of the content from from finished manuscript through to its in a, a, a reader's hands. Things change in that window, whereas with an ebook or a digital version of the book, you can change things on the fly throughout the life cycle of the book. Sure. Right? Yeah, and so you know, I, I and there are companies, there are people out there right now that are are still doing paper. Um, the ones that are doing it the best, I think, have also recognized that the education can happen digitally. The inspiration, you know, the place for photographs. Is it on a wall? Well, that's hard, you know, because then you're making decor choices. But in a right. book, I think that's where photographs belong, in an actual book. And so um, there's a company in the UK called Triple Kite Publishing, and, and they have a, now a magazine called Land Sea and it's stunning. It's really, really beautiful. And they're starting to put out some books and some monographs. And the printing is amazing. I mean, I will almost just buy anything that comes out of Triple Kite um, the minute I see it because it's just, it's really, it's beautiful stuff. But would I, if it was just an educational book, would I spend as much money? Probably not. Um, I, and I don't know why that is, and it's I, it's unfortunate because there are books that I've done, like the Visual Toolbox, where people say, "God, I really wish I could have this as a printed version," um, and it's just it's not worth it. You it's know, it's print it, yeah. on demand. No, I mean we could we could put it out there through blurb or something, but even then, I mean, you know, that would that would be over a hundred dollar book. Uh, people people could photocopy it for less than that. Yeah, so. Right, right. Uh, print it yourself. Print it on, you know, buy a printer for less than yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you if you really want, it's a question of what are they buying? Are they buying the educational content or do they want something to go on their coffee table? And and so I'm committed to doing a fine art book every two years. Mm -hmm. But you don't make money on fine art books. You really don't. You can break even if you do it right. And you do it because you want a, a legacy. You do it because you want the best possible version of your work sitting on people's coffee tables around the world, not because you're going to make, you know, yeah, I mean, you're just not going to make money at it. Sure, you know? sure. So, but, but so, if it pays for itself, right, you get this beautiful book. and Right. You know. It's a wash, right, and the line is right down the fairway. Yeah. So what, what's next, for, what's next for, for David? What's next for Craft and Vision? It's a good question. I don't know. I, um, I, I've got, the, like, the whole year kind of blocked off to do nothing, so... We were waiting to see how the surgery went, and uh, it looks like it went really, really well. So now I've just got like another, probably another month or two of kind of rehab stuff. And uh, August, we're going to jump in the Jeep, and we're going to take off for two months and go to the far east coast of Canada, go see Newfoundland, Labrador, do some landscape kind of stuff, and eat cool. some eat some lobster and yeah so we'll uh, we'll live in the jeep for two two months and just kind of see our fair country and come back and then i have uh, i have then sort of my next year almost begins and i've got two weeks of photographing polar bears up north and i've got a grizzly trip and i've got a humanitarian trip to northern kenya and swimming with whale sharks i we did uh, we did our scuba ticket this year and um the idea of photographing underwater is just, it's probably the most exciting kind of creative thing that's come my way in a long time. Crazy difficult. I mean, you know, you think you understand this photography thing and then you drop into the water with all of this gear on your back and, you know, you're trying to compose a photograph while trying to breathe, trying not to land on something that will, you know, stab you, trying not to get eaten or bitten by something. It's just... It's a, and it's so much fun, but it's yeah. it's a completely different thing. So um, so that you know, creatively, I think um, the next book I said I was 
working on a book every two years. The next kind of fine art book, the idea in my head is it's called Wild, and it's kind of Canada at the edges. So mm -hmm. it's it's not kind of straight down the fairway of Canada, you know, from east to west. It's kind of it's the rugged west coast, and it's grizzlies, and it's the the far north. I've got a couple couple weeks with a guide in the far north. Um, scheduled for next July and so it's and then you know whatever I find on the East Coast but it's it's a book about kind of the the wildness of Canada because that's to me as a Canadian it's not a you know say it's, it won't have any words so it's, it's not going to be a nationalistic tribute to my country but right. just as I mean I, I grew up in the wilds of Canada and and my photography has always been only ever about other things. It's yeah. never been about Canada. So um, this last year, I started with going and photographing some grizzly bears, and had a had an encounter with this this bear that literally just totally changed my life and made me realize that I want to I want to photograph this stuff. Um, you know, that like everywhere else, progress is uh, so-called progress is uh, robbing us of some of our national treasures. Sure. Yeah. And and I don't want to be the photographer that documents the, the the rough stories and the bulldozers and stuff. I want to be the photographer, just like with my humanitarian work, that um, that tells tells the stories of of the things that we could be losing through yeah. all of this stuff. And and the other photographers are also needed. Their stories are also important. I'm just that's not my gig. I want to be there and say, hey, this is this is my experience with a with a grizzly bear and these are the, the beings that we share this planet with um, do we have a hope and, and help? preserve it you can preserve all that in pixels right that's your <laughs> well yeah I mean you know you, you can and and yet I'm hoping that we do more than that I'm hoping that we can move some people to preserve it in real life um, and, and I don't I don't know I mean ultimately money talks right and and do we have a hope in hell of stopping pipelines and all of this I don't know but um, God help us if we don't try you know yeah. and this this experience with this grizzly bear I had was just it was unbelievable I, well, and tell I just me about that. what happened well, I just been I so I booked a week on the sailboat and they're one of two groups that is allowed into this estuary in what's called the Kutsmatin Grizzly Sanctuary. And uh, so there are very few people every year can actually get in and be with these bears, and, and rightly so. You know, you, you, you are in their territory, and mm -hmm. uh, a flood of tourists with big cameras is probably just going to ruin the place. So we were in there. I was there for a week, and my guide, Tom, was one of these guys that's, you know, he's, he's, he's getting on, but he's just he's so full of wisdom, and he's spent a long time with these bears. He knows them. He helps save this this place, and... So he taught me to be in the presence of bears. And I mean, when I say taught, I mean, it was only a week. So I'm not going to run off and hang out with bears at this point. But he, he taught me the possibilities. He opened my eyes to to this. And, and we were talking. He's a, he's a bit of a photographer himself. And he was saying, you know, there's something about your photographs that I, I don't see in other photographs of these bears from, from our clients. You know, because everyone comes with some big lens. and. And I said, well, I, I think it's because I'm not using the big lens. I had the big lens, but I wasn't really making photographs with them. And, and the reason was because I feel like a big lens implies distance. Just in terms of visual language, we see a compressed image, and it feels it doesn't feel intimate. Whereas you put a 24-millimeter lens on and photograph a grizzly bear nice and close, there is a sense of intimacy, and you get that grizzly in its environment. And so the bulk of the work that I shot that um, that week was sort of anywhere from 16 millimeters to 
I, I think some of my longest stuff is like 80 millimeters, which right. the scale of things isn't that long on a full frame camera. Um, and and so I we were there with this. There was a little kind of grassy point in the water, um, jutting into the water with uh, a mama bear and two cubs. And you know I've grown up with with not with grizzlies but with black bears in Algonquin Park in Canada. And and you know I'm fairly bear savvy. And and everyone that knows that's ever walked a foot into the wilderness knows you don't you know mess with a mama bear and her cubs. And so we were being very cautious. And we'd been with this bear a little bit throughout the week. And the the zodiac we pulled right up onto shore and just we were watching and the mama bear kind of you know sniffed at us and and at one point she got up and she walked right over and and sort of down this log and I'm not kidding she was like if she'd put her paw out and I'd put my hand out we would have you know we would have high fived and um, you know and and meanwhile my guide Tom is saying you know just speak to her David just you know it's okay she's look at her she's just curious there's no threat there and so I was kind of like you know quietly trying not to crap my pants yeah. but it was you know and he had, we were being safe he he had his hand on the throttle and he's been with these bears for years and years and years and being there and looking at this bear and then she turned around she kind of snapped and she looked at me looked just looked me straight in the eyes and they walked back to her cubs, which was probably only maybe 20 feet away. And she lay down, turned her back to us, and went to sleep. And these cubs are still right there and playing. And it was almost like this mother bear came up to check us out. And then went, all right, I'm tired. You guys babysit the kids for a while. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and we sat. And, we, and it was... It wasn't profound. It was just truly, truly intimate. And to be with animals that that you are not afraid enough of that you're going to carry a shotgun and try to kill it to be with an animal that isn't afraid of you and mm-hmm. will will kind of welcome you into their world um, I don't want to overly romanticize it you'd be a fool just to you know go and hang out with grizzlies you know but at the same time I'm more scared of human beings than I am of bears I yeah. really truly am and and I think you know the apex predators on this planet get get a real um, you know, we've painted them with a certain brush, and part of it, I think, is the desire of people to kind of go out in the woods and go, "Oh, big strong white guy killed killed tiger, killed, you know, whatever." And it's like you'd look like a real douchebag if you know the truth came out that they're just beautiful, intelligent, sensitive animals that you know that don't need killing. Yeah. Uh, and I have you no know, particular opinions that I want to voice about hunting. This is not about that. This is just simply about can we live with the rest of creation, can we live peaceably with them without everyone needing to kill each other, both, you know, humans with each other and humans with animals? Surely there must be a way, because if we can't, we're doomed, you know? And I already think humans have sort of this bent towards self-destruction, so I'm trying very hard to remain hopeful and optimistic. I love it. I love it. David Dushman, Craft and Vision, thanks for coming on again. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. I feel like I just Thank I could you. talk with you all day because I, yeah, I walk it. away inspired and enthusiastic and you know, I want to sit down and curl up and read the visual imagination. So this so the book is out now. And so out five, now. is it how much is it? Um, well, it's, uh, it's a $10 book. Uh, is this podcast going kind of immediately live? This podcast will this will go in this week's twip, so it'll okay. it'll be live Friday a week. You know, I tell you, I, I tell you what we'll do when we get off the air. I will give you a um, uh, discount code because the discount code for the book that allows people to get it for seven dollars and fifty cents. 
is uh, is going to expire in about 12 hours. So I will give you one for TWIP that would be uh, that people can use for about um, a week. Perfect. You know, get, give it enough time to get in and buy their buy their book and save 25 percent. Love it. So awesome. I'll give, you, I'll give you that. And uh, and I didn't even have to ask for that. You know, normally yeah, I would ask. <laughs> we're all about the love, Frederick. I love it. Bring it. Bring it. Cool. David, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll we'll definitely talk again soon. Let's uh, let's not make it another year and a half before we chat again, though. Done. All right. David Dusman. You have a good day, man. You too. Talk soon. Yep.